episode of A Pair of Bookends is sponsored by Dear Green Reads. They create handmade book sleeves and gift boxes for all your bookish needs. They also support other independent businesses by sourcing designs for their fabrics from them and by collaborating with small businesses to find items that complement their products. Head to our Instagram at A Pair of Bookends Pod for an exciting giveaway. club you can carry anywhere we are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals i'm hannah mcdonald and i'm lydia claire on today's episode we'll be discussing the books that have shaped us from books we grew up reading to our current favorite authors we'd love to hear your answers to the questions we'll be asking today so please do dm us at a pair of bookends pod or email us at a pair of bookends pod at gmail.com but before we get started lydia what are you currently reading? So I am currently reading This One Sky Day by Leonie Ross, right? And I have had it on my TBR shelf for, gosh, since before Christmas, definitely. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, since before I knew it was for the Women's Prize. And um, it's a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous edition. Sprayed edges, hello. It is actually stunning. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, but I have put, uh, I've been put off from reading it because... Um, it's a bit fantastical. So it's set on an island. See, I didn't know this. Yeah, so I knew nothing about it. And then, I, I, literally, I bought it for the cover, guys. Sorry. Um, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? The cover, the spread edges, it's beautiful. stunning. Um, but, yeah, so I bought it on a whim. Like, this is a gorgeous book. I need it in my life. And didn't know what it was about. And then I watched, I think it was Savage Reads, and he explained a little bit of the book. And I was like, oh, Okay, so I've bought some kind of like fantastical fiction thing, and I thought that's not usually my my vibe, but I thought I'd go for it. Um, and anyway, it's been sat on my shelf, sat there, sat there, sat there, and then when the women's prize long list came out and I saw it, I was like, well, now's your time. I've already got it, now's right? Your time. So picked it up, started reading it. It does take, I'd say, maybe twenty five to thirty pages to get your head around what the heck is going on. Right? <laughs> they're on this island. I'm not giving much away here, but they they're it's set on an island, a bit like um maybe like Barbados or somewhere in the Caribbean, Jamaica, places like that, you know, right. like um like an archipelago kind of place. And these and everyone has a magical gift. Oh, okay. Okay. And the magical gifts are crazy. Like some girl her lungs are on the outside of her body, some people have extra arms, some people can um season food through their hands. That is um, Billy's dream. The, uh, I exactly what I thought. <laughs> um Hannah's boyfriend is an amazing chef and um yeah, I uh, I was thinking if he could just not, it's not have his to job, bag, he's not actually a chef, but he, he loves to cook. Um, but yeah, so that's one of them. Another one is to be able to heal. Anyway, it, it, I was I just thought this is really interesting. And I'm about 200 pages into it now, and I cannot stop thinking about it. I need to know about the characters. I need to know what's going to go, what's going to happen. Um, and the writing of the characters is beautiful. It's so good. Oh. And I'm very impressed because I, I have to say, it's it's not my usual genre. And uh, I'm, I'm totally in love with the book. Really? Yeah, really in love with it. I'm going to keep raving about it because um, I really love it so halfway through and uh yeah it's up there it's top top tier love that um what are you reading <laughs> that's 
sounded very accusatory. What are you reading, Hannah? <laughs> Tell me now. <laughs> so I've started reading The School for Good Mothers by Jessamyn Chan. Really enjoying it so far. Only 20 pages in. Mm-hmm. That is probably one of my most anticipated releases of this year. Yeah. I've been so excited for it. Mainly because Pandora Sykes might have mentioned it a few times. Didn't you get it off her subscription box? I did. Pandora's box. Mm. So yeah, I got it from her subscription box, um, which is amazing. And um, yeah, as soon as I saw that they were they were sending those out, I was like, sorry, I need this book. I need it from Pandora herself. But yeah, I've been so excited for this book to come out and so excited to finally read it. Um, so it's kind of like a dystopian book. Um, so it's kind of if mothers were judged for their parenting and they were... If? <laughs> I mean, it does happen. So it's a really clever concept, but it's mm. if they're sent to a school where they learn to be better mothers. Yeah, and it's, like if you do something wrong, like but it um, can be like from the smallest thing. Yeah. So it can be like if they they're seen shouting at the child in the street to like full blown abuse. Like yeah. there's no kind of it is yeah they they they're punished either way. Oh, it's interesting. Mm. Really interesting. Yeah. So I'm excited to read more of that. I've literally read 20 pages last night and already I'm like sucked in. Mm-hmm. So got, that's always a good sign. It's got a lovely cover. It's got oh, a gorgeous it cover. But you know what really I really hate about it? What? The spine. Because it's blue. Is it blue? No. No. Don't. Right? Because the front cover is gorgeous. It's like pastel pinks mm-hmm. with yellow. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then you've got this like thumping massive blue spine on it. Yeah. And I'm like, the spine is what people see on your shelf. Up your spine game. Your spine game. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Oh, God. <laughs> now, on to today's episode, we are going to be talking about the books that have shaped us. The first question that we have today is, uh, what is a book that started you reading? So, Lydia, what is a book that started you reading? Oh, my goodness. Now, this is a hard one for me because... Um, and I will put a little disclaimer in mm-hmm. because I am going to mention Harry Potter and uh, my love for Harry Potter growing up. Um, however, I understand that whenever you now mention Harry Potter, unfortunately, there is quite a big dark cloud that comes with it because of J.K. Rowling and her, frankly, disgusting uh, comments about trans people. Um, for me, and I know for you, I speak for yeah. you, Hannah, Um, trans rights are human rights and we are allies and we stand by our trans friends family and all of you out there who might Mm -hmm. be struggling with Mm -hmm. your identity or might be you know struggling like I have with kind of looking at a series that you really adored and looking at the author and realizing that perhaps they aren't the person that you thought they were Mm -hmm. in terms of her views um so I'm not going to be talking about her today no Um, she's not worth our time um but i just wanted to make sure that before i go into how much i love this which i do that everybody understands where we stand on the matter yeah um and of course that your rights matter to us and everything that we and we in no way stand by any comments any harmful comments that she's made so far we don't stand by any of them no and this is not publicity for her this is not me asking you to go out and buy a book (laughs) Um, it's just us Getting nostalgic yeah. about books that we grew up reading, you know, books that we've enjoyed throughout our lives. Yeah. Um, that's the main focus of today's episode. Exactly. So we and kind then... of, you kind of couldn't 
have spoken about books we grew up on without mentioning I Harry couldn't Potter. have. It would have, been, it would have been remiss of me to say yeah. that that didn't make a massive impact in my life. Um, but now that we're 20 years on from the publication and things have come to light, mm-hmm. um, I um, I do not promote that author at all. No. Um, so, so just a disclaimer for you and if you want to skip this bit that's absolutely fine if you don't want to hear us talking about Harry Potter it'll just be for this first little bit um and then you can find out the rest of our book picks yeah um but yeah so the book that really got me into reading was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone um I was gifted it um for Christmas of my mum's friend who was a big reader it was as it was published like it was had a beautiful bow on it and all this stuff and I hadn't really read a full novel I'd read like books, like bits and bobs, but I'd never gone and got a full novel and read, sat down and read it. Yeah. And I must have been, I mean, I can't have been that old, seven, eight, something like that. And I'd read, you know, your regular fare of children's books. Um, but this was the first novel I ever sat down and read. And I remember reading the first, um, the first chapter of Mr and Mrs Dursley at number four, Privet Drive. We're proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. And just being like, what is this? And being encapsulated by the world. Oh my goodness, did it take me places. And it was the gateway for me to be like, well, this is fantastic. Yeah. What else is there? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily my mum, who was an avid reader, was like, well, if you like that. She's like, well, if you like that. I've got these books that you'll like. Um, <laughs> and it led me into like Tolkien. So reading like Lord of the Rings and things like that when Amazing. I was younger. It just opened up a load of doors for me. And it made me realise that reading a, a thicker novel, I mean, it's only, it's less than 200 pages long, Philosopher's yeah. Stone. Yeah. But reading a thicker novel is not something to be scared of. No. Um, and also the themes in it, it, you know. We say that now, if I see a thick <laughs> novel on my shelf, I'm like... Right. That's going to be sat there for a good six months. I know, I've got the, the love songs of W.E.B. Uh, e. Du Bois on my shelf and I'm like, when, when, when will I have the courage to put you down on my shelf? Charlie on Bookstagram is raving about that. Everyone so. loves it, everyone loves it. Um, but yeah, so so Harry Potter, it changed my life. Um, the character of Hermione Granger really made me realise how important education was and how it wasn't something to be ashamed of to be bookish and to love having your nose in a book and not really to be like cool I never really struggled with bullying or anything like that in school but I did struggle with the fact that I was a bit different I did have my head in a book I was sort of ashamed of that for a while Mm -hmm. and then as soon as I got to grips with the fact that you know what Hermione Granger is unapologetically smart and funny and you know she she's an icon for me of like don't apologize for being a nerd Mm -hmm. don't apologize for loving what you love doing what you do um and yeah i just i absolutely adore that whole series really yeah um and it means heck of a lot to me it brings a lot of emotions back for me when i look back on my reading life and i think you know what if i hadn't have picked up philosopher's stone would i ever have got into reading the same way that i did would i ever have thought that I could read a book, mm-hmm. like a full big book like that, uh, as a seven-year-old. That's so, amazing. Yeah. As, so I owe a lot to Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> and it does have a special place in my heart still. Oh, I love that. Um, but Hannah, I need to know what, what your uh, childhood book was, please. So 
I don't know what age exactly I started reading, but I know that my Nana Val, God love her, she is a huge reader herself and always encouraged me to read. And there's loads of pictures of me sat on her knee while she's reading to me. Oh. And um, yeah, she was just always encouraging books. And we have this wonderful family tradition at Christmas called Fairy on the Christmas Tree. And we've been doing that since I was a child, since my Nana was a child. She was doing that with her family. And it's basically um, the the fairy on top of the Christmas tree. You get a small Christmas tree on a little stand in the middle of the living room. And you all hold hands and walk around it and sing this song. Hannah, oh my goodness, this is too <laughs> And cute. then when the song ends, each time the song ends, whoever's facing the fairy gets to take their book from underneath the, the tree. Um, but she would always buy a book for each person so you would always have your own book under the tree it wasn't like you were fighting over one or um but yeah she always encouraged like a love for reading so yeah i loved that so that's just a really little cute insight that's too cute (laughs) um but i i really enjoyed kind of reflecting back on this Mm. um because for me harry potter was a big part of my childhood as well Mm -hmm. Um, I loved reading the series um, felt completely transported to this like magical world but I would never go for that now no. and, and back then I was like obsessed with it <laughs> couldn't wait for the films to come out loved mm-hmm. all the books um, so that was a big part of my childhood um, but I do remember reading uh, The Magic Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton so it's, it's really weird that I didn't go for fantasy books now because a lot of the books from my childhood seem to be like I used to kind of head towards that for escapism i think i used to really love like immersing myself in these exciting worlds and i was fully envisioning myself climbing up this tree <laughs> and going into this little magical land yeah i just really enjoyed those stories i do think though that it's it's the same as playing with children right mm-hmm. when you play a game with a child you are basically just fantasizing you're just playing you just mm-hmm. let's play shopkeepers that is the best way for a child to learn yeah you can sit them in front of a book and mm-hmm. say this is how you do it or this is what you do but if you play shopkeepers they'll know when you go yeah, in the yeah, shop yeah. how to do it yeah and it's the same with with fantasy fiction when yeah. you're a child so it teaches you a lot more than you think mm-hmm. because like magic faraway tree it's still teaching you about significant lessons yeah about how to deal with certain things in a brilliantly inventive way yeah um but I think that's what appeals to kids is because yeah. they don't know they're learning. Mm-hmm. So you don't know that you're craving to learn about yeah. conflict or conflict resolution as a child. But these books, like Narnia books, things like that, C.S. Yeah. Lewis, he does it really well. Um, you know, you don't realise how much it's teaching you as a child. I think. Yeah, yeah. I would say that was uh, probably the book that started me reading would probably... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably all sorts that you picked up as a child, but mm. that's the one I distinctly remember. Yeah, again, it's, I don't think these choices are, like, solid. I think they could change on a daily basis. Like, if you yeah. ask me tomorrow, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, but Elmer by David McKee really made a massive uh, impact on me as a, as a child. <laughs> so I loved him. Also, um, my memory is shocking, so this yeah, really tested my memory. It's difficult. <laughs> um, also, like, um, each peach pear plum, I used to love that when I was really that little. That sounds really familiar yeah so it, it was um each peach pear plum i spy tom thumb 
come from in the cupboard i spy mother hubbard and it was oh like it's gosh, a little nursery rhyme book yeah and um, i think it's by janet and alan alberg i think is how you say it there okay um but yeah and that is really indicative of my childhood that rhyme to be able to still that. be able yeah, to recite it nearly 30 years later if you were to ask me tomorrow it would probably change but i think that yeah <laughs> you have to just you have to pick and carry on yeah so you have to put your stake in <laughs> the ground be like you know what i'm gonna be strict with myself today <laughs> i was strict because i had several choices but i just went with that because lydia yeah. did tell me before the podcast that she would tell me off if I picked more than one. So. Let, uh, let's just she swans in with a list. <laughs> with a list of 40,000 books that she's whittled it down to. And I've slaved away trying to get... <laughs> trying to get one que- one book for each question. And you come in with choices. Oh, I don't really have an answer for you. No, no. Well, right, should we move on then? I think so. Right. <laughs> okay, so now we're growing up. We are discovering ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going through the ridiculously horrific time of teenager-dum. What, I mean, what would you call it? Teenager-dum? Teenager-doom. Adolescence, basically. <laughs> I just don't want to use that word. But, um, yeah, the doom of the teenage years. Yeah. Um. So, Hannah, can you tell me a book that I would be able to get from your teenage bookshelf? So, my teenage bookshelf, now I'm thinking early teens. I'm not thinking, mm-hmm. like... 16 mm-hmm. 17 i'm thinking like 13 14 you would always find jackie wilson oh, yes. on my bookshelf always without She's fail a queen. i don't even know if there's any books of hers that i didn't read haven't read her later books um i know she's just released baby love is it oh, i think it's her first adult novel Oh, I'll have to give that a check yeah. out because i've not no i didn't know that i definitely want to read I've it i've kept in touch with her since growing um, up and she also, I think it was, there's one called Love Frankie, mm. which was more recent. But yeah, in when I was a teenager, there were so many of her books that I just adored. Her books, I don't know what it is about them. You know, she was exploring quite dark themes, mm. but in a really accessible way for younger readers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was so much on family dynamics and family dynamics, <laughs> family dynamics and relationships and friendship. And, you know, a lot of things that affect you in your formative years that you kind of don't realise. And mm. it was, I feel like it really helped a lot of younger readers to read her stuff as it kind of helped you navigate confusing things that might be happening in your childhood yeah. and your teenage years that you don't really know how to deal with. Yeah. You know, emotional things like, you know, like your parents divorcing or mm. if you come from kind of non-traditional like family a blended maybe family yeah like yeah. a bloody family or a non-traditional family like i don't know how you would really word it but she was kind of like the not older friend but like the i think it's like your older sister like who gives yeah. you kind of like i know it sounds like weird but you know like shows you like what to do with like a panty liner like this so yes, yeah you know and like yeah. you know teaches you little things like yeah it's nothing graphic it's nothing that's gonna like it's nothing that you would think have to think twice about about giving a 13 year old yeah, child you know, yeah. you know what i mean don't be like scanning through it yeah um but again like i read girls in love yeah i was about to talk about that yeah and and it's just it's one of those one of those books that kind of like teaches you a lot yeah in a small space of time so that was the book the the series that i was going to speak about oh, amazing so some of her books so there was like midnight and clean break and lola rose and 
those are the ones that spring to mind. Um, but there were some of her books that I was I was bullied in school, and a lot of those books kind of helped me navigate that because some of these characters were being bullied, or mm-hmm. they were navigating, or they were navigating friendships or you know like petty fallouts with their friends Mm. um you know and I really struggled to to navigate that when I was younger um so I felt like a lot of her earlier books really helped me with that and um I also struggled in my earlier years with like my parents splitting up and I felt like her books uh, were often talking about like parents divorcing and having to be in a blended family and yeah I just felt really kind of uh, supported by her okay. um you know even I, I i did go to a book signings when i was younger mm. and i adored her but i couldn't quite put into words to her when meeting her when i was little like how much her work had helped me yeah um you know it really helped me navigate some of those tougher times mm. and the girls in love series i wanted to speak about that because i thought that was a great series for introducing younger readers to like sex Mm -hmm. and sexuality Mm -hmm. and navigating this kind of coming of age and not knowing what you wanted and Mm. trying to like you know find yourself a little bit in in those spaces and kind of like identity and friendship and female friendship and it kind of confronted so many different things that were like you know big themes to to a young reader like myself and yeah I I just adored that series I think it answers a lot of questions that you didn't think you needed the answers to exactly so you start you you know if you're I don't know prepubescent or Mm -hmm. 13 or 14 you're just starting to discover what it's what it is to be a woman or yeah or to be yourself whatever you identify as you don't know the questions to ask Mm -hmm. I didn't know what questions to ask, no. you know, and my mum and my dad, very open people. Yeah. Um, So I could ask them anything, but if you don't know what to ask. Exactly, yeah. Whereas these books kind of unlocked a lot of that, kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, so that's what that is. Yeah. And okay, that feeling, that feeling's normal and mm. this feeling's normal. Um, And she, she's great like that. Yeah, um, and I think what you're taught in school when you're talking about like sex and relationships mm. and you're Put being the taught about on it. the cucumber <laughs> like it's all go. very like logistical isn't mm. it whereas I felt like her books were teaching me those things from an emotional perspective yeah and which some would argue is probably more important yeah than whether definitely or not, you know, definitely um you know the anatomy of the inside of a vagina <laughs> couldn't really care less to be honest but you know but honestly, I could wax lyrical about Jackie Wilson for look, Jackie Wilson, like I know her. Uh, Jacqueline Wilson. <laughs> you do. You do know her. <laughs> and I was also, I remember being really obsessed with um, Nick Sharratt's illustrations. That is who, yeah, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Stunning. Um, I used to adore them and I used to look forward to getting the books just to look at the illustrations. They are gorgeous. And I used to be so frustrated that I couldn't draw like that i am jealous of all illustrators yeah my my one of my closest friends is really really good at drawing and i hate her for it (laughs) and she knows it (laughs) i'm like (sighs) lydia what is a book that i would find on your bookshelf as a teenager well not quite as light as yours (laughs) okay let's roll with it (laughs) i'd say i was a bit older so i've i've probably pitched it a bit older than you Okay. Um, yeah, so, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think I think for me, when I look back on my teenage years, I, 
there was a lot of like rereading. Okay. Um, uh, rereading a lot of comfort stuff because I had quite a difficult time in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left high school and was home tutored. So I did a, a heck of a lot of like reading in my spare time, and so I did a lot of rereading for comfort to help with anxiety. I know a lot of people do that to help with their anxieties, mm-hmm. reread and rewatch old programs. Yeah. Um, but I'd say that the one book that I took a chance on was We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. Wow, how old were you when you read that? 16. Really? Yeah, I was young. I, I bought it because I was a little bit, not obsessed, but really intrigued and interested in like the Columbine disaster, uh, the massacre there and um, school shootings, mass shootings and what motivated these kids to do mm-hmm. it, you know. I wasn't in a school at the time, so it it was kind of all very foreign to me. Yeah. So I I, I was kind of perplexed. I wanted to know more about it, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd heard a lot about we we need to talk about Kevin, and that it was about a massacre in a school. I didn't know that's what it was about. Yeah. So I thought it was just about the mother son dynamic. No. So and it doesn't give anything away because it's given away at the very start of the book. Right. Um, but basically, Kevin, um, the child, has he's a teenager. He goes into school and he is a perpetrator of a massacre in his wow, school. Okay. And the rest of the book is basically looking back on her life and her relationship, the mother's relationship with Kevin. And it's a lot about nature and nurture and what causes uh, young men, mostly young men, to harm other people at school. Right. Um, and the culture behind it and the situation behind it and it was fascinating i was very into dark stuff when i was a teenager um and i wasn't you dark i know me dark what um i'm practically a comedy um but yeah and i think it's because my mum let me she was Mm. like you know what if you're interested in it read it you know and there was never any censorship in my house right so it's kind of like, Which is great. if you feel like you're ready, read it. But if it's starting to freak you out or scare you or make you feel down, you stop. Yeah. And go pick up something like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and that was the best thing for me because um, it tackles huge issues, yeah. massive issues, depression and uh, empathy and violence and grief. Um, and it's super interesting. Now, again, Lionel Shriver is perhaps not the most neutral of authors she has some views of her own that are somewhat um problematic in my view but i do love the way that she writes characters yeah. as unlikable mm-hmm. um and it was the first time i had ever read a book like that mm-hmm. i'd never read a book where the characters were were not likable and there were very few redeeming features to most of them right um and it was it was sort of like a coming of age book for me because i was mm-hmm. like wow this is not you're Jacqueline Wilson. This is yeah. not. I'm not safe in this book. No one's protecting me from mm-hmm. the harsh realities of life in this book. And I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I actually bought a new copy of it about a year ago, and it's on my shelf because I lost it when I moved house. Furious. And I'm intending to reread it, and it'll be like what over ten years later. I'm gonna have to get this now. Yeah. I'm going to reread it. We should buddy read in the yes. reread. Um, because I really want to see how my perspective has changed on the mother yeah. and on her on her relationship now that I'm older yeah. and have a different perspective on it. And now that you are a mother. Um, and now that I am a mother. So I feel like that will hopefully spin. Yeah. 
yeah. spin some of the stuff and I get more out of it because I remember really loving it. And as well, back then I was very against having children. I wasn't going to have any. Really? Was, oh yeah, I wasn't going to have any. I mean, I was I was very opinionated at sixteen. I mean, I still <laughs> still am. But yeah, I had I had my life set out, and uh, children were not a part of it. So for me, we need to talk about Kevin. Mm-hmm. Was the book on my bookshelf Amazing. as a teenager that was tabbed and talked about and referenced? See, this is so funny because I had written down when you told me to narrow it down. I was like, okay, I'm just going to speak about Jacqueline <laughs> Wilson, but my teenage years in terms of reading feel mm-hmm. quite split yeah. because my early teenage years like this I would have been about maybe nine when I started reading Jackie Wilson that feels like an appropriate age yeah 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 maybe from like nine until I was like 14 I think I was still dabbling in Jackie Wilson mm-hmm. um but there was probably like a period from maybe when I was like 15 onwards um where I became totally enamoured by Judy Picoult mm. and adored her books. And one that I was going to speak about was actually 19 Minutes, which is about a school shooting as well. Oh, wow, really? Um, and I I think Judy Picoult's the first time, because a lot of Jackie Wilson's books are told from first-person perspective, are they? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very much like you're, you know, kind of suctioned into that one person's mm-hmm. life and you're looking at it from their perspective, whereas... Judy Pickett's books, she's an incredible writer, and we've spoken about this on the podcast before, about how she does multiple perspectives so well. Yeah. And she will take a really dramatic event and tell it from the perspective of all the different people involved. Mm -hmm. So whether that's, say if it was a school shooting, you know, maybe it'd be one of the students in the school that's trapped in a room at the time, maybe a teacher that's trying to look after her students, maybe the shooter themselves... Um, and it really gets you to question like your kind of morals yeah, yeah. and um, how you might judge a person until you're inside their head and then you'll actually see from their perspective that actually they're not a bad person. Mm-hmm. It's something that's happened to them in their life that's maybe traumatised them and caused them to be this person. Yeah. Um, and Jodie Pickett was really great at making me look at a, a different perspective yeah. and see a different perspective and kind of understand people and kind of stop before judging people mm-hmm. um you know not judging a book by its cover and i thought judy pickett was really great for for doing that and yeah i can't kind of mention my teenage reading years without talking about judy pickle yeah yeah um because i kind of made the jump from jacqueline wilson who explored these dark topics but in a kind of supportive way to young readers yeah to judy pickle who was exploring these things mm-hmm. in a way that i had i kind of hadn't been exposed to before yeah yeah but yeah she's an amazing writer i find that fascinating I, but yeah i, I didn't I, I never knew that we knew to talk about kevin was about school shooting yeah so yeah well it's that's yeah i want to read it even more now it's 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 a great a great kind of uh i always feel like using any adjectives when you're trying to describe something so horrific is always yeah. a bit t- tricky but but it's a really interesting interesting look at the subject it sounds powerful it's it really is it really is and you know what trigger warnings to the hilt because it's difficult read mm-hmm. um but i've always been the type of reader that kind of pushes trigger warnings to the side yeah and then usually regrets it halfway through and i'm like oh gosh <laughs> um but yeah it's definitely worth a read so my next question Lydia, what is a book that changed your perspective on something? Um, I have picked for this category, My Life on the Road by Gloria Steinem. Nice. So 
uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Gloria Steinem, but she is a um, kind of prolific feminist who uh, helped to pioneer the feminism movement in America throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s. And and still to this day does amazing work. Um, And I have to say, I will only pick this book up because Emma Watson picked it for her Our Shared Shelf project. Mm -hmm. She's basically just like a let's all read together uh, book club. And so she picked this book and I was like, oh, I'm going to read anything she suggests. So I was like, yeah, it was this and, and uh, Alice Walker's The Colour Purple. It was like yeah. some absolutely amazing, amazing choices. But this was the first one and I have always considered myself a feminist. Yeah. I don't think it's a word you should be afraid to use. No. You know, I, I think feminism for me includes everybody. Yeah. Um, um, and so I've always been a feminist but I didn't really know how to articulate it because I was always just like, I think that we should be equal. And that was it. Yeah. Um, and then I read this book and about all of the amazing things that Gloria Steinem and her, I think you could call them collaborators, colleagues, everyone was kind of pushing people like Bell Hooks on what they were doing to, to define feminism for the new generation. And I could not believe... I felt so sheltered from what had happened. I had no idea that women had had such a struggle. I knew it. People say, oh, you know, burning the bras and, you know, thing of chucking herself under a horse. And, and th- this is the feminism you learn in school. Yeah. You don't learn about um, indigenous people's uh, lack of uh, equality. You don't mm-hmm. learn um, about things like trans rights and about women in the workplace, mm-hmm. and about the sh- strides that people like Steinem have made mm-hmm. for women. Um, and it was just, it was like someone got a key and opened my hand and just went, there you go. <laughs> Here's a world. Here's an entire world that you need to learn about immediately. And I was like, oh my goodness. And that was it then. I was like, this is it. Like, get me, get me everything that is related to feminism i just went to waterstones and bought a load of feminism books and was like i need to read all these and it's not in itself because it's a memoir it's not particularly the most groundbreaking memoir that there is you know Mm -hmm. it's a great memoir i really enjoyed it but it was more the opening me up to the concept of feminism and what you can do because she's an activist so she's very much like what can you do in your house? Mm-hmm. What can you do in your workplace? What can you start standing up for? And I was like, well, you know, I do that. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't. No, I don't speak up when somebody calls me love or when I see someone have a sexist comment thrown at them. Mm-hmm. I don't say anything. I just sit there at the time I did. Now, oh, you try and get it past me. You try. <laughs> um, but it's because of, it's because I just accepted it as the norm. Yeah. And she said don't yeah um and she opened me up to so many new authors especially like bell hooks um and i thought you know what i'm so glad that i've read this book because it taught me how to be a better feminist and how to be a better ally Mm -hmm. so completely changed my perspective on on what it was to be a woman and how to be a woman and and what womanhood meant to me Mm -hmm. and what it might mean to other people yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I love that. Very grateful. But what did you pick that 
you would say changed your perspective? So I chose um, Happy Fat by Sophie Hagen. Oh, wow. That was one of Great our book choice. club uh, picks. Um, so I used to run a book club um, from 2020 until the start of this year, wasn't mm-hmm. it? January yeah. finished, yeah. I think. Um, so I started that during the first lockdown. Saved my life. <laughs> um, and I would choose a book each month and we'd read it and then we would all jump on Zoom to chat about it. And I'd chosen Happy Fat by Sophie Hagen. It's kind of difficult to encourage people to read nonfiction. I feel like mm. people are more accepting of fiction books. 100%. I am. I um, <laughs> and people kind of turn their nose up at nonfiction reads. Um, but this to me felt like a really important book to read and it was it was it taught me so much um now I am so interested in any kind of writing that explores bodies and body image and you know anything kind of along those lines um I really struggled with um eating disorders when I was younger there's so many books that would have really helped me at the time that I never kind of had access to Mm -hmm. and I really wish that I'd read that book back then it's just such an incredible book and it taught me so much on fatness and living in a fat body and how fat has always been used as an insult and how it's such a loaded term and how fat people are wanting to reclaim that term and you know how fat people kind of have to navigate the world and kind of the the fat phobia that goes on Mm. and you know the the shaming of fat people and fat bodies and it just kind of it blew my mind that there was so much that I'd kind of not understood and you know this this kind of so much in our language that is fat phobic that I hadn't considered that would have really impacted me as a child mm. and would impact anyone on the way we perceive ourselves on the way we perceive our bodies on the way we perceive food and eating and um the way we look at other people and their bodies um and the way we judge the way others eat and the way others bodies look and it just really opened up my mind um and i, I really can't recommend this book enough mm, mm. um it's such an amazing book and i think sophie hagen is just brilliant at, at teaching these things in a really accessible way in a really nuanced way in a really funny way she's so funny like that's what you need especially with something a subject so heavy as this Mm -hmm. like it's such a such a tricky thing to tackle and to be able to do it with a smile yeah she's just she's so funny yeah and I loved all of her anecdotes Mm. and the way she would kind of bring in statistics but also be you know um speaking about a situation that had happened between her and her granddad as a child. Yeah, it's always relatable. It was, yeah, it was never like. It was. And here's, I mean, because I've read, I've read my fair share of nonfiction in my time, and oh, some dense stuff where it's yeah. like, here's, here's my dissertation on this subject, yeah. and I'm like, I do not want to read. But this just wasn't dense at all, was no, it? It was, it was anecdotal. It was funny. It was, um, also really kind of honest. Yeah. Like, to a yeah. point where I was like, wow, you were, yeah, this is like, I hate the word brave. Mm. I hate it in terms of, because it's always brought out with fat people. Let me tell you, oh, she's so brave. For doing yeah, that. yeah, she's yeah. So brave yeah. for wearing that. But it was, it was, it was, it was brave and bold of her to be yeah. able to, to um, come out and say, you know what, this is, this is how this language makes me feel. 
Yeah. And I thought that's so, so good. So yeah. good to, to read. Because there's so much hate and abuse that fat people receive online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we see that a lot with, you know, now models and um, campaigns that are using models now. They're, they're diversifying the models that they're using. And we're seeing more, um, you know, fat bodies in the media and on social media and stuff. And the amount of hate and abuse that they get mm-hmm. is just horrendous and also i feel like a lot of the time when you look at the at the fat influencers that are on instagram mm-hmm. these people are not looking to be selling products yeah because of the way they look yeah. they're looking to be positive about themselves mm-hmm. and f- to be something that someone can look at yeah. and a lot of the time these campaigns are doing it to sell your product yeah. because it's the thing to do at the minute mm-hmm. and you've got to think what are their motivations yeah and stuff yeah. and i think that sophie really really opened my eyes to be a little bit more cynical about stuff like that why are they doing it and is it to forward mm. forward these these principles or is it yeah because they want more people to buy deodorant yeah reading that book really helped me to yeah it really, it really made critical. me it really made me check myself though mm. you know like am i being accepting of people in other bodies because we've always been taught to kind of, I don't know, we live in such a fat phobic society mm. that there's things that you do and kind of opinions that float around in your head that don't even belong to you. Yeah. They've just been something that society's taught you. Oh, massively, yeah. And it just really made me check myself and kind of, you know, look at the language that I'm using and like look at the language that the people are using and really mm. question it you have to retrain your brain yeah it's literally like rewiring your brain yeah. because yeah. we have been taught especially as women we've been taught to internalize that shame mm-hmm. so like you can love a fat person and hate yourself for being fat yeah and that doesn't make any sense whatsoever no, no. <laughs> but you do yeah you do because you've got all this shit it's a very shameful thing mm-hmm. fatness yeah. And it shouldn't be at all. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you've got a bit of extra fat cells in your body. Mm-hmm. Why has that got any influence on you whatsoever? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great book to discover, mm-hmm. to sort of go, wow. Um, and there are a few things in there that I found difficult. Like she gets you to do like exercises where you like hug your body. Oh yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And that is that's me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting of her to do stuff like she look at yourself and you think, oh, why do yeah. I feel uncomfortable yeah. now? Yeah. So yeah, it was great. It was really good. And so I'm glad you picked that actually. Yeah. I'm really glad. Because <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, here's me learning to accept other people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can't even accept myself and yeah. my own body. And you practice what you preach kind of thing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, we're constantly taught to shrink ourselves, especially as women. So yeah, it really made me question that. So Hannah. Moving on, I would like to know the book that you've chosen that instantly reminds you of something. <laughs> so, I feel like you're already laughing. It's going to make me laugh. So, I've actually chosen. Well, I wrote a different one down. I wrote. I, I picked two. Oh, and here we go. Picking two again. Sorry, Chasing but I'm not going to do it. Um, so, because I've already <laughs> talked about book club, I'm not going to talk about book club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a book that I'm going to speak about is Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, mm-hmm. and I had a visceral kind of reaction to this book. So it's kind of like Shonda Rhimes' memoir, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of a year in her life. For those and, of us that don't know who Shonda Rhimes is. Uh, sorry. Shonda Rhimes is an incredible writer. 
Um, she's the screenwriter of Grey's Anatomy and of Scandal. And she has Shondaland, which is her production company. So she, Shondaland have done Bridgerton. Amazing. And countless other incredible TV dramas and TV series. She's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but Grey's Anatomy is like one of my favourite series of all time. I'm just obsessed. It's a medical series uh, in America and it's just incredible. If you've not watched Grey's Anatomy yet, where have you been? Please go and watch where it. Where have you been? Um, but yeah, that is Shonda Rhimes in a nutshell. Is She's a writer and an amazing one at that. And I, because I'm such a fan of Grey's Anatomy, I was like, I have to read a book. Um, and this book is kind of like a year in her life and it's about... so the book is stemmed from a really small conversation that had a huge impact on her and she was having a conversation in the kitchen with her sister and she was talking to her sister about an event she'd been invited to and she was going to turn it down and her sister kind of said like you always say no to things Mm. she was she got quite like uppity about it and was like excuse me like i don't always say no to things like i i go to loads of things i can be social like uh and her sister kind of challenged her on it and was like actually no like you don't say yes to enough things Mm. so the year of yes is about her year of saying yes to various projects and challenging herself to to go out and be sociable and to take advantage of these opportunities that were being thrown her way that she'd always kind of turned down because of fear Mm. and it really challenged you know the way i would perceive myself and how a lot of the time you say no to things because of fear and because you think that you're not deserving of something yeah. or because it can be for a variety of reasons. But I read this book. <laughs> I read this book when I was on holiday with my ex-boyfriend and um, I wasn't happy in the relationship at this point. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd gone away and I just I wasn't happy at all, but I wasn't admitting it to myself. And I felt some kind of guilt about about being in a relationship and not just trying to make it work. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm I've just graduated uni. I should be, you know, moving in with my boyfriend. I should be, you know, ticking all these like kind of yeah, huge yeah. life moments off my list. And you know, I had all these expectations of what life was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was letting myself down. I was scared about letting him down of letting our friends and family down if I kind of <laughs> left the relationship. Um, and reading this book, I had like a visceral reaction to it. And I was like, I can't be in this relationship anymore. I'm not happy. Why am I restricting myself? Because I'm so afraid of like the outcome of me leaving this relationship when I know in myself I'm not happy anymore. Yeah. And um, I remember finishing this book and being like, I can't be with him anymore. You're off. You're off. Get out. See ya. Um, and I sat down and had a conversation with him and we were due to be moving in together. We were trying to find a place together and I sat down with him one night and was like, I, I don't want to live with you. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, like, I don't want to live with you. I think we need to live separately and see if this is going to work. And, you know, eventually it didn't work out for me and him. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely have this book to thank because I had such a visceral reaction to this book. Yeah. I was like why am I trying to shrink myself and you know I'm not taking advantage of like opportunities because I'm so afraid of like the outcome of things and I was really living in fear Mm. when there was no reason for me to Mm -hmm. um and that book just really pushed me to wow that's amazing (laughs) yeah (laughs) the power of books yeah and that that book's always kind of stayed on my mind and I was really reluctant to speak about this because obviously it's always kind of awkward talking about like ex-partners and 
things like that but yeah that's kind of the book that I really wanted to talk about um, I love it. because I adore Shonda Rhimes I love her writing style I think she's one of the best screenwriters of our time and this book was just amazing it's one of my favorite ever books wow. um but yeah it really it, it changed my life I feel like so. I need to get my hands on this book you do you do it's I'm gonna get my hands on this book on Stephen. for you <laughs> <Maybe> not. <laughs> Like my yeah. <laughs> Bye, Stephen. Good <laughs> but Lydia, yes. What is a book that instantly reminds you of something? Well, I don't think I could beat that because that's a heck of a story. Um, but I am gonna introduce uh, the first man of our uh, of the podcast. I wonder who this is gonna be. <laughs> No idea who Guys, about to talk you know about. who I'm going to say, don't you? I know you're all sat there at home like, oh, here she comes. <laughs> it's Stephen King. I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> not include him, could I? It'd be absolute sacrilege. Um, so yeah, so I chose the novel The Stand by Stephen King. Nice. Um, and it is because it instantly reminds me of my mum and of the love of reading. Yeah. And how brilliant reading a really good book can be it's one of those novels that like if you pitch it to people they're like oh (laughs) because it is about a pandemic it is a bit end of the world yeah it's a long novel when you are not familiar with stephen king oh my gosh can he waffle he's a waffler born waffler (laughs) and i love that about his writing i could listen to him talk about like a twinkie for 16 pages and he will and it's just the unabridged version of the stand is like a 1000 pages long it's huge and every single bit of it is fantastic you get into this world he transports you and you live it you live it it's so visceral it's so kind of the way that he describes you can't see lydia but her eyes are completely like <laughs> lit up I've, woke, I've had a very tired weekend and let me tell you i've woken up talking about Stephen King. um but yeah so uh, the way he talks about um how like virus spreads mm-hmm. um he talks about like it going on money and from hand to hand and stuff and there is a scene where a, a character hands a dollar bill over and he says he hands the dollar bill over loaded with death and it's <sighs> just like you know how you know how to tease me. And there's a there's a scene at the beginning, it doesn't give much away, where a, a car is is coming down the road and it's a bit out of control and there's this guy at a diner and he's got, you know, gas pumps outside of his, his thing and he, he's looking and he sees this car and it's kind of swerving. And um he says, um, turn off the pumps tap, which you know, turn it off because this guy's gonna crash into us. And um when my mum was passing away uh, we were talking about the book and she quoted that to me and I was like how I mean my mum had been through a lot of trauma and she she had really different like a real difficulty mem- remembering things and the fact that she remembered that quote and she quoted That's it to incredible. me because we, we were talking about the start of the book because I brought a copy of the book to her so we could read it together yeah. she couldn't read anymore I was like oh it's getting to this bit and she said it before I said it and this is the power of the human brain yeah when you love a novel and the power of books and the power of books it stays with you let me tell you it stays with you till the last minute because it did with her mm-hmm. and it and it's just wonderful like she was like turn off the pump tap and i was like yes 
so it will always have a special special place in my heart always and so yeah so when I read that book it reminds me of her which is a lovely thing yeah. it's such a such a positive thing it is. and it's a great book it's gritty it's violent it's got all the stuff I love in it <laughs> um and you know a great fabulous cast of characters and like talks about people that you wouldn't think you'd empathize with but you know think of all the prisoners left in prisons when everyone dies what happens to them they're mm-hmm. locked in and you know talks about the perspective of these people um and it's fascinating it's brilliant and um so thank you mum for for bringing that into my life i've not reread it since she's passed because i think it would be too emotional yeah. um but i have got oh, a new copy of it, it. i think it would be yeah. lovely i think it would be lovely um because yeah uh, if I didn't mention it as well, she'd killed me because she'd have been like, uh, "Can you make sure you mention Stephen King at every opportunity?" So if you can come banging on about it, it's not I me, it's my mother. Um, so so yeah, so it's very personal, it's very uh, emotional for me to talk about. But if you're looking for a really good uh, kind of end of the world novel, pick that up. Don't be scared of its size. Just just give it a go. Give it a couple of chapters. Give it a chance. I swear you'll love it. You I will. Now onto the big. The big dogs, it's happening. Lydia, what is your ultimate recommendation? My ultimate recommendation. Now, let me tell you, this list is as long as my arm. Um, but I have, I have decided that to go with just my instinct. What is the first thing I think of when you t- when you ask me that question? Rather than going, oh, but I could choose this, and oh, but I could choose it. What's the first thing that comes to my head? That is. Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. <laughs> well, it was a surprise to people. Um, but it really is. And when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, actually, there's a heck of a lot of similarities between Hamnet and The Stand by Stephen King. Okay. Um, so there is a full sequence in Hamnet of a virus travelling from one place mm. and coming across, um, obviously it's the plague, um, and coming across and reaching uh, the victim in the book and that is entirely reminiscent of Stephen King's writing in the stand and, and how viruses travel and stuff and what I loved about that book um but ultimately it's a novel about grief and it's a novel about uh loss and how to navigate loss mm-hmm. and I read it before my mum passed away but I feel like it was really a great novel to have read to prepare me for what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, which it sounds weird with a fictional book, you think, well, no. but honestly, it really did. I was like, okay, you've just got to listen to your body. You've got to listen to what your body needs when something like this happens. And um, the way that Agnes, who is the, the mother of the family, the way that she's written and the way that she deals with grief and childbirth as well. Um, I just had my second baby when I read it. It was just phenomenal phenomenal i love that um and I, I just adored it um so yeah if you if you ask me for my ultimate wreck I'm, I'm gonna say that because it's just it's a gorgeous book there is and this is a this is a big disclaimer but there is a death of a child in it so it's very very difficult in places but ultimately it's not it's not about the sadness of that situation mm. it's about everything else um, and some beautiful nature writing in it as well. If you love a bit of like scenes from a bush, scenes from a bush, then uh, Maggie O'Farrell is your woman. But yeah, I think that's my favourite. But Hannah, if I asked you the same question, what would you tell me? 
There are so many books that sprung to mind when I did this and I found it really, really difficult to narrow it down because there's so many amazing so books hard. that I want to recommend. I found it really I just went with my first thing. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to say the one that I was intending to say, yeah. which is The Handmaid's Tale oh! by Margaret Atwood. What a choice. Pulling out the big guns. I only read this in at the start of 2020. Oh, wow. Like in the January of 2020 before chaos hit. You know what? I think I read it about the same time. Yeah, I, I found it so powerful mm. and so moving and like gut wrenching. Mm. And you know, it's not an easy read by any means. It's really not. It really makes you reflect on the dangers of the way we vote. Yeah, how quickly things can turn. Because when I read it, Donald Trump was in power, mm. and and it's just kind of really unnerving to think. You know, the wrong person in power, we've had this conversation on the podcast before, but, you know, with the wrong person mm-hmm. in power, <laughs> it, anything can happen. Yeah, I think as well it was that, for me, the, the, the subtle way it kind of insidiously came. Yeah. One minute, you oh, well, you can't use your bank account. Yeah, but I think this is why I've been so excited for the School for Good Mothers, mm-hmm. because that's kind of going in this in a similar direction. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a dystopian book, mm-hmm. um, but this is kind of exploring how it starts off with, um, we're, I'm at the start of the book now, so it's this um, woman and she is so exhausted from being like a mother and she has split custody with her, with her ex-husband and the child is, is sick and will not sleep and she's just so exhausted yeah. and she leaves the house without the child. She goes to get a coffee because she needs a breather. Mm. and the child is taken by the police and she's not allowed custody Mm. whilst they kind of investigate the fact that she left her child Mm. and then it comes into question calls into question you know whether she's a good mother whether she should be in control of this child what a great concept yeah and um they then create this school for good mothers um and it goes down the route of re-educating mothers mm. and it, it just kind of has similar vibes to The Handmaid's Tale for me. Yeah. I'm so interested in dystopians where they go down that route mm. of the way society tries to control women mm. Mm. because I think there's such a balancing act even now of it could go either way at any time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. there's still so much control over women in parts of the world and... There's so so many males that are in power in the world, and you know we we're seeing that play out in America, you know, with with kind of abortion laws, and you know, in, in Ireland and as, well. as well, um, yeah, trans rights, yeah, yeah, and and you know, abortion laws, and you know, there's so many different kind of laws that are brought in that it is trying to control, you know, huge sections of society, massively, yeah. massively, yeah. and. It really, really unnerved me reading The Handmaid's Tale because mm. I was like, oh, like, we're kind of so naive at times, you know, when, when you think that you're moving through the world and you're safe, but actually, mm. at any given time, that could change. That's what I find fasc- fascinating about dystopian fiction is when mm-hmm. the everyman, yeah. every woman, yeah. is is t- having to do something so extraordinary out yeah. of their life. Yeah. Like, it's just completely... Yeah completely ridiculous mm. but I, I found it really interesting um have you, have you read the testaments yet i have yeah yeah i think the handmaid's tale is my favorite i think it's my favorite as well it's just such a powerful book mm. i think mm. that's why it's like my ultimate recommendation because i just don't understand how somebody wouldn't love it i also 
also think that with The Handmaid's Tale, it's another great example of the way that novels are pioneering for women Mm -hmm. because in every dystopian um, TV series or film, there's always a male protagonist. Yeah. And the male protagonist is always the guy with the gun mm-hmm. and he saves everyone and then maybe he dies heroically at the end and then there's yeah. the solo female girl left at the end, you know, yeah. like, oh, I've been saved. Um, whereas with these, the women are the people that are fighting yeah, um, in whatever ways they can. Yeah. Because basically the first people that get oppressed are women, yeah. are people that are considered other mm-hmm. in society and it's it's interesting to see that yeah and the fact that that a lot of authors are writing from the woman's perspective now Mm -hmm. um and basically margaret atwood pioneered the way to do that i think yeah you know she she said i'm gonna write it everyone follow yeah um and luckily people have yeah it's just such an incredible book now moving on to um I hope you enjoyed our little chat <laughs> about the books that have shaped us. I could do it all day. Um, but we're going to move on now to questions. So I've got a couple of questions for you, Lid. Oh, I'm intrigued. So um, how do you decide on who your favourite writers are? What is the criteria for that? I think it's oh. so difficult because some people would say you can't just read one book by a writer and decide that's your favourite writer, but I would disagree. I would disagree because I've only ever read read one Maggie O'Farrell and that was Hamnet and I love her. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> just saying Don't that. Don't have um, <laughs> Right. I would say the way that I would, I pick a favourite author is if I read the book and love it. Yeah. And then that is then compounded by if I see another of their books. Yeah. Do I buy it immediately? Mm-hmm. Do I go, I need their next book or I need their backlist book? Yeah. So with Maggie O'Farrell, every time I go in a charity shop and I see her backlist books, I'm like, I'll get that because I know I will like it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think that for me is if the first novel I read of an author is brilliant mm-hmm. and I really really like it. Yeah. Um. I am guaranteed to try their next novel. Yeah. So people like Rupi Kaur, I read Milk and Honey and was like, oh, this is amazing. So yeah. I've now read everything she's written. Yeah. And I am a bit of a, a collector. So yeah. if, like, I really enjoyed Kazuo Ishiguro's Remains of the Day. So then I immediately had to go out and buy 14 different books by him. <laughs> um. So yeah, if I'm, if I'm excited yeah. by them, I will then go and get the rest of their books or try and seek them out somehow. Um. So for me... To meet the criteria for favourite author, I've got to have read at least two of your books. If not, I'm really excited for the next one you're going to write. If you're like yeah. a debut author, like um, Julia Armfield, I was really excited about her. So I immediately had to go and buy her short story collection because I was like, yes. <laughs> so just as a little segue from what you were just saying, mm-hmm. my other question was who wouldn't have to work hard? Who wouldn't have to work hard to sell you their next book? Well, Stephen King is my uh, auto by author. I'm sorry, but yes, I will literally. I've just, I've, I don't know why I don't just call him up and say, Stephen, send me them. You know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's my auto by author. I think, um, I think for me, like um, most recently, Hanya Yanagihara, anything that she writes is gonna be purchased by me and i've not loved everything she's written i've not adored i didn't adore the people in the trees but i know that i have to i'm fascinated by the way she writes 
Um, what about you? Like, have you got like a an author you're like, I have to get that. So other than Meg Mason, obviously. That's obviously who I was gonna mention. Uh, so writers that writers I've only read one book from mm-hmm. that would happily get their next book are like Meg Mason. Um, I've just finished reading Catherine Heine and adored it. Would happily get her next book. Uh, Bernadine Evaristo. I've only read Girl Woman oh, Other. Bernie. Yeah. Kate Elizabeth Russell, who wrote My Dark Vanessa, oh, would instantly get her next book. Mm-hmm. Meg Nolan, who wrote Acts of Desperation. Douglas Stewart, obviously, just finished Shuggy Bane. We bought Young Mungo. They wouldn't have to work hard to get me to buy yeah. the next book. Tayari Jones, Elif Shafak. Oh, Elif. Oh. Yeah. You see, you're so much more prepared than I, I am. I'm like, uh, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yes. like, my no, yeah. my favourite writers are, like, Sally Rooney. Like, I've read three mm-hmm. of her books now. She, I think she can very easily go into my favourite category. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that I've not loved of hers. Yeah. Uh, Nora Ephron, Adora. Nora. Yeah, I, I love Nora. You know, I've watched a documentary by her, which is Everything is Copy, which is incredible. Adored that. Um, adore like when harry met sally so like her films and her books just everything about her she's amazing dolly alderton loved the high low love her books you know loved everything i know about love mm-hmm. have i mentioned that's been adapted right. oh um, here we go was that a thing? <laughs> thing you should mention it was it was <gasps> um loved ghosts by her um she would just be a massive like i feel like when i'm reading dolly alderton i feel like i'm being or listening to her on something, I feel like I'm being wrapped up in a warm blanket. I love that. Um, I feel really soothed by her words and mm-hmm. her speaking and just anything that she does, I'm just like instantly need. Yeah. Um, so she wouldn't have to work hard to get me to... No, not at all. <laughs> Definitely not. Zadie Smith, I love her as a person. Mm-hmm. I really like her books. Uh, I wouldn't say her books are my favourite, Mm-hmm. But I would happily read her back catalogue because yeah. I love it. I've read, uh, was it White Teeth mm-hmm. and On Beauty? I've read both of those. Um, loved them, thought they were amazing. She's just ridiculously intelligent. She's probably one of the most intelligent people on this earth right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, love listening to any interviews that she does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's brilliant. And I would say she's my favourite writer, just her as a person. I just adore oh, her. Wow, that's interesting. Um, but Hanya, obviously I have to give her a mention because The Paradise was just a work of art. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't think I really have an actual criteria for writers. No, it's, I think it's a tricky one, isn't it? favourite writers, I mean. You either love them. I think you you know when you love a writer. Yeah. You know when you're excited yeah. about, about when a when you're gutted when you finish their book. Oh, especially if they're like Hanya Yanagihara or Donna Tart who uh, releases one book every 10 years and you're like <laughs> please please just speed it up for me because everything you write is gold come on Donna wrap it up hon. please come on <laughs> um I think sometimes as well though the amount of time that people take you can see the quality in it you know Douglas yeah. Stewart said that it took 10 years to write Shuggy Bane yeah and you're like I can see that yeah yeah for <laughs> I can sure see, it's brilliant sure um <laughs> now on to the questions that we've been asked we have at Meg in a book, who we adore dearly. Oh, we love Meg. Which book do you wish you had as a teenager? Ooh, here she comes with a curveball. Um, you know what? I think for me, something like Queenie. Amazing. Um, by Candice Carty Williams, because the way that she talks about uh women and sex, 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and the issues surrounding that, um, I couldn't really have done with. Yeah. Because I felt a bit, as a teenager, a little bit sheltered from a lot of the sort of mechanics of sex and the, the reality of sex. Because a lot of the time, what we learn about sex is from TV. Yeah. Um, which is all simulation um, and, you know, and pornography is no better. So I think that that a book like that, where it really is about the honesty of sex, yeah, I, I loved. And also, the again, around the issues of race, I come from a very bland, white community let me tell you it's white as light like there's there's nothing um where I grew up it was not multicultural whatsoever and I think that reading books that depict um black characters and um characters of color is very important Mm -hmm. as a teenager to help you understand yeah the world around you Mm -hmm. if it's not out your front door you need something to to help you navigate that yeah um, so, so yeah, um, I think I would have loved a book like that on my shelf. Amazing. What about you? Um, so I'm thinking um, The Places I've Cried in Public by Holly Bourne, <sighs> which is a YA novel. And I didn't realise it was a YA until I read it. Um, but I really, really wish I'd read that as, as a teenager mm. um, because I was in an abusive relationship from the ages of 16 to 19 and it was my first relationship and there was so much that happened in that relationship that was like deeply traumatic and has stayed with me until I'm now the age of 27. So it stayed with me for a very long time. Mm. And The Place I've Cried in Public is about a young girl who's in an abusive relationship and it's emotionally abusive and it's sexually abusive and she doesn't understand how to navigate this whole thing and mm. it's it's just such an incredible book and I really, really wish I'd had access to that when I was younger because there's so much that we're not taught about consent and about what's right and what's wrong in a relationship and about how we deserve to be treated and the things that we should accept and the things that we shouldn't accept and being able to speak up for yourself and being able to know when something's wrong and... There was so much that I just, I found that book really, really powerful. Obviously, read upon the trigger warnings for it. Um, I think, you know, from whom we speak about it, you'll kind of understand what direction it kind of goes in. But I felt really impacted by that book when I read it. And I only read it, I think, last year. Mm. And I was like, God, I wish I'd had this when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. Because it maybe would have helped me to navigate that relationship better or yeah. helped me to understand that the way he was treating me wasn't right. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really powerful book, and I would really recommend it. Yeah, that's a, that's a a great a great answer. I think that um, another book for me that I think really details consent really well is Normal People by Sally Rooney, mm-hmm. and how Connell treats Marianne in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another. It's kind of like look at what what it should be. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, on the subject of consent, if we're talking about recommendations that explore consent i would obviously recommend michaela cole's i may destroy you mm. which should still be on bbc iplayer but it's an incredible series yeah and it explores you know sex and consent and relationships and um how consent has various forms mm-hmm. and i also wish i'd watched that when i was younger yeah now I need to speed along because this is supposed to be a mini-sode and we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Okay, it's your fault. Oh, yeah. It's not my fault, but okay. 
um so final question is yeah. from at reading with hendrix desert island book snack item of clothing only one of each go oh my goodness right the stand stephen king nice and long <laughs> right you'll have forgotten the start by the time you get to the end snack oh don't want anything too salty on a desert island do you don't want anything chocolatey it'll melt you're really fucking this through i am i am i think my snack would be um but i'm gonna go for skittles Oh, okay. Big bag of Skittles. <laughs> bag of Skittles. I'm writing it down so I can remember when I'm on actual desert island day. <laughs> um, book snack, what was it? Uh, item of clothing. Oh, clothing. PJs. Love it. Like an IT. Love it. Because that's been one item. PJs, or even though I'm young, <laughs> in the desert, but short enough that I'm cool. Um, and then I could like roll the straps down so I can Sunday. Love it. What about you, Hannah? Um, I'm surprising myself. Um, but I'm going to say To Paradise by Hani Yanagahara. Because you'll be in paradise. Yeah. Uh, but because it's split into three sections mm-hmm. and there's so many characters that I get to spend time with and mm-hmm. it's kind of a bit cheeky because I get three genres in one, really. Oh, I like it. She's um, thinking ahead. So, you know, and it's and it's technically three books. I mean, she calls it book one, book two, book three, but it's, it's all it's one book. Uh, it's really long, so I'd get to spend loads of time on it. And mm-hmm. I think you'd get something different out of it each time you read it. Mm-hmm. Um, snack. It's not food, but I want an endless supply of iced coffee. Um, I'm not sure that counts as a snack. Well, I'm taking an endless supply <laughs> of iced coffee, so it's going to count. And also, I want um, the... Oh, that was a good job of pause because I almost forgot about my love for mini cheddars. Oh my goodness, could you imagine? I would want an endless supply of mini cheddars. You'd have to have mini cheddars. And Sorry. can I just specify for when I am on the island, make sure it's the sour skittles and not the regular skittles. And don't give me none of your shell lists. They're weird. <laughs> Original green, sours. Thank you. Stop it. I have my clothing. Why am I wearing anything other than a bikini? Oh, I was just about to say, you better not be naked because if we're stuck on it together... <laughs> I want a bikini. I want to be chilling in my bikini. It's going to be boiling. I know, but yeah, it's like wearing a bra. You don't well, want to maybe, be wearing a bra. Well, I'm if you get loose. your bikini underneath it, then I want like a nice long baggy top. All right, then. Something that would like, you know, like a really baggy one that would kind of like, like almost like a shirt, a t-shirt dress. Right, okay. One of them that I can just put over my bikini. Yeah. Because you can sleep in that, but then also you can wander around in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Thinking ahead, guys. So yeah, that's, what I, that's what I would go with. I take it very seriously. <laughs> Uh, now, I think quickly we can do some recommendations. Oh, yes, let's do some quick ones. So, Lydia, what have you been enjoying recently? Okay, so I have had a few sleepless nights recently with a teething child. So, I have managed to watch the whole of It's a Sin again. <gasps> have you? And I cannot tell you how much I sobbed oh, the God. entire way through. Um, it is the most beautiful piece of work. It's incredible. Oh my goodness, I just can't, I haven't got words. Anything Russell T. Davis touches is gold. Please don't, because you know what, if he ever listened, or if I ever met him, I would cry. <laughs> I was actually fantasising in the shower this morning about meeting him and what I would say, and I almost cried God. to myself in the shower. It's been an emotional week. It's been an emotional week, very tired. Um, but he, yeah, he's just absolutely fantastic. He gives actors space, room to do what they need to do with the characters. And yeah, it is unbelievable. The story he can take you on in five hours. Beautiful. So, um, you know, for fans, la. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's amazing. Um, and also, um, 
the uh, recent film that I watched was Boiling Point with oh, Stephen Graham. So good. Now, can I just say from someone that worked in hospitality for 10 years, I only left hospitality a couple of months ago, and it is a perfect and accurate representation of the shit that you are dealing with the guy on a daily ta- basis. Listen, the guy at table seven deserved a knife in the throat. 100%. Like, and this is why I can't work in hospitality, why I had to work behind the scenes, because <laughs> I do not have the patience to not oh, smack someone over the head now. with a bottle. Um, but anyway, so it's a story about a chef, his restaurant, and just the average night. And, and it was done in one take. Done in done it seamlessly in one take, and it, it is fundamentally brilliant. Yeah, it's it's great acting, great characterization, mm-hmm. fantastic dialogue. None of it's overly dramatic. Yeah, none of it feels forced. Um, so atmospheric, so claustrophobic. It's all set in the kitchen and yeah. the dining area, and you know what? It was just it just kept me going. I was just like, this is so good yeah um it's amazing because I, I, I watched um i think it's called burnt with bradley cooper in yeah and sienna miller and i didn't think much of that in terms oh, really of, in terms of like a trying to encapsulate the what it is to be a chef and a, and and a working kitchen and mm-hmm. things i felt like this did it much better yeah um so yeah it's on netflix um, along with it's a sin, so you can find both of them on Netflix at the minute, and they're well worth, well worth both of them well worth a watch. Um, and also, Boiling Point is only about an hour and a half long, so it's a really short watch. Yeah. What about you, Hannah? Tell me your recommendations. Um, so my recommendation, I love the Literary Friction podcast, mm-hmm. and while I've been working from home this week, I've been trying to go through their back catalogue, and I have been going through the Hilo back catalogue, uh, yeah. comfort listen and um i heard them recommend um an episode on literary friction um with sally rooney oh and so i went back and listened to that and it's amazing it's from when normal people was first published oh wow so they recorded it in a waterstones in leeds yeah. and um it's just amazing it was just hearing her and and i've i'm on my second rewatch of normal people which are kind of watch an episode and then come back to like a month later or something um i've read through the scripts of normal people which are actually on bbc it's on their script library mm-hmm. which is great you've got access to that uh, i've read through the scripts i've obviously read the book i'm just a massive massive fan um and it was just so interesting hearing her speak about normal people and about her writing process mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. and about creating those characters and just kind of having the knowledge of how much she is blown up as a writer now. Yeah. Um, when at the time the podcast was recorded, she wasn't actually as well known at all. Yeah. She'd obviously done her debut, which was Conversations with Friends. Um, but I feel like normal people really like propelled yeah. her into like the spotlight and everyone kind of grew this obsession with her work yeah. and her. So it was really interesting to listen to her talk from back then and from how like conversations with friends had been received and mm. um about her process of writing normal people um it's just such a great listen would really recommend that and also a book i've been uh, reading recently um which i finished last night is standard deviation by katherine heine um it's my first katherine heine she is fucking hilarious <laughs> she's so brilliant um i have never annotated a book this much 
So standard deviation is about um, a marriage between Graham and Audra and it's kind of told from Graham's perspective and it's about navigating marriage and it kind of it touches a lot on infidelity because their marriage is a result of their affair um, but it's kind of not told from the time of their affair it's told from when they're married and a few years into their marriage and they've got a 10 year old son called Matthew and um, so I'm just going to read this paragraph I don't know if I've got time to do it but I'm doing it anyway um, so this is um, a conversation between the two of them and gives you an insight into what their marriage is like what if your very last words were you know I think maybe I left my curling iron on when Matthew first started going to elementary school I would make sure that the very last thing I said to him every morning was I will always love you so that if something happened to me that would be the last thing he remembered me saying but that sort of fell by the wayside and now when I drop him off I say don't tell me you forgot your backpack again or jump out quickly before someone honks you know, in general, I feel my standards of mothering have declined over the years. Doesn't it seem like I would have gotten better after so much practice? Like, by this point, I should just be able to snap my fingers and puff Matthew's dressed and fed and loved and secure. But instead, it's more like Downton Abbey. And I had a couple of very strong seasons there in the beginning, and now I'm quitting corners like crazy. Downton Abbey, what was she talking about? I love that. And it's just, Audra <laughs> is one of the funniest characters I've ever read. She's just hilarious, and she has these, like, monologues like this. Yeah. And then you've got... You're looking at it from Graham's perspective, so he's just like, "What is she talking about? Oh, Why?" Is she she, yeah, like. <laughs> but it's just such a brilliant book. Um, right. Loved it so so much, and it really took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did, mm. and it's got the same kind of wit as Nora Ephron. Oh, so for fabulous. any kind of Ephron fans out there, I would really recommend this book. I loved it so so much. Wow, I think we've uh, if we've not filled your brain now with uh, full on recommendations. Jesus Christ, we've been speaking for one hour and 40 minutes. We do apologise. We, we are going to edit this massively. <laughs> uh, but that is all we've got time for today. Um, so my cat is about to jump up on us. Rhubarb, please chill. If um, you have enjoyed the podcast, please do share it. Um, please do rate, review and subscribe to us as that boosts us in the charts. Um, please do share us with your friends and recommend us as this would massively help us reach other bookends and if you would like to dm us about any books that you would like us to read for future podcasts uh, please dm us at pair of bookends pod and that is all we've got time for today thank you so much for listening Bye-bye. bye bye